Well, good morning, church. We're glad that you are here. We are in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, obviously, chapter 2, as we just heard. 1 Peter, chapter 2. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about um, who we are, identity. Identity. We live in a culture that's all about identity these days, isn't it? Um, understanding our own identity, identity politics. Uh, um, who am I? Be my true self. Figure out who I am. Be honest. Be authentic. And, and on one level, none of that's bad. We, we need to know who we are. But the human heart can never identify itself. It will, only become, it will only become a standard that will ultimately crush us. Our identity must be told to us. It must be spoken over us. Big theological word, it must be imputed. It must be granted to us. And that's where God comes in. And that's where, and that's where Jesus comes in. That's where Christianity comes in. Is that gospel Christianity says... That holiness is being who we are, being who God declares that we are. And so we talk about that a lot around here. And Peter's talking about it in 1 Peter. And so today, from 1 Peter, we want to explore another statement about who we are. We are free servants of our Savior. That's the title of our sermon this morning. We are free servants of our Savior. And that can sound like a, like, like a contradiction, an oxymoron. A free servant? Yes, that's what we are. We are free servants. Chapter 2, verse 18. First word, servants. Be subject. This is the second time Peter has said, be subject. Verse 13, be subject to human institutions. Verse 18, servants, be subject. And then next week, chapter 3, verse 1, wives, be subject. Peter's repeating this language, this servant language. It's strong language. It's hard language. It's tricky. We're going we're gonna to try to make some level of sense of it this morning. And I'm going to admit to you that I'm, I'm going to do this very humbly because a lot of the, these things can get can get very uh, tricky to think through and to, and to process. So bear with me as we try to explore what this means to be a servant, to be a free servant. Back up, if you will, a couple verses. Chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says, live as people who are what? Let's try it again. Live as people who are what? free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as what? Servants of God. We are free servants of God. Free servants. We are free to be servants. Without freedom, there is no love. Serving and love go hand in hand, don't they? There's no loving, there's no loving without serving. There's no serving without loving. 
And therefore, if we back up a step, there's, there's no love, there's no serving without freedom. We see this from the very beginning in the garden. God creates Adam and Eve and He sets them in the garden. Chapter 2, verse 15, God places them in the garden to work it and keep it, it says, the Bible says. They are put in the garden to work the garden. Hebrew word, abad, which means to serve. Adam and Eve were put in the garden as the priests of the garden to serve the garden and, and keep or protect or guard the garden. That was their role, and they did this from freedom. They were free to do this, or they were free to not do it, which chapter 3 of Genesis. In their freedom, they choose sin, don't they? They don't choose God in His life. They choose the knowledge of good and evil, and they, they crash humanity. In the book of Exodus, we see God freeing the Israelite people out of slavery and not, not just setting them loose in the wilderness. He sets them free from slavery to Pharaoh in order to become slaves of God. There's actually, there's actually a couple of verses in Exodus where, um, and again, it's that same Hebrew word. Did you know that the, the Hebrew word for serve, abad, is the same Hebrew word for worship? It's the same exact word. So there's a verse in Exodus where Pharaoh says, I will not allow you to go abad the Lord. Rather, you will stay and abad me. And in your English Bible, it says something like this. You are not allowed to go worship the Lord. You will stay and serve me. God freed them from that so that they would worship him and serve him freely from a freed heart. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks this way to the disciples in John 13. He teaches them how to be a servant. Do you remember? He washes their feet, and he, but he says these words to them. It's very interesting. He looks at them and he says, I no longer call you servants. Do you remember this? I call you friends. But then he teaches them how to serve. Go out and love each other. Go out and serve each other. Wrap the towel around your own waist and wash feet. Not from slavery, but from friendship. They become free servants. Ephesians 5.21 Each of you must be subject to, to each other. Listen, here's the argument I'm making. You're a servant. That's what you're meant to be. That's what every human being is meant to be, a servant. It's what we were created for. I get it. This is hard for us. We live in a culture that has made freedom the end, the end in itself. Freedom is the ultimate. Don't tell me what to do. We live in a country that fought a war and has fought wars over maintaining our freedom. But listen to me, Christian. Freedom is not the ultimate. Love is the ultimate. It is for freedom that you have been set free, Galatians 5.1, amen. It is for freedom that you have been set free, but a few verses later. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but instead, in love, serve one another. Our freedom is not the effect, it's the cause. It's the cause of love. It's what allows us to love. 
And the great paradox is, is that in loving and in serving, we give up our freedoms. We are free to give up our freedoms. That's what being a Christian is. And so why does Peter call us servants? Look at verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters. Household slaves, servants, oiketes, household slaves, be subject to your masters. In the Roman Empire, in the city of Rome, 50% of the population was a slave. Within the Roman Empire, anywhere from a quarter to one-third of the population was, was slaves. So, Peter and Paul and the New Testament talking about slaves, that's part of their life. They, you either were a slave or you owned a slave back then. That's just what it is. The very fact that Peter is addressing slaves, that the Bible addresses slaves, is, is unheard of in all other ancient writing. Slaves are low. Remember last week, honor and shame. Slaves are in the bottom category. Slaves are shamed. You don't talk to slaves. You don't write to slaves. You don't address them in, in your document. So for Peter to even address servants like this shows that he's actually honoring them. A lot of the Christians were slaves. Probably going to church with their masters. How, how awkward is that? Galatians 3, there, in Christ there is no longer slave or free. Do you remember that? There is, there is no male or female, slave or free. And so in Christ, those categories are abolished, but in society they are not. And so what do we do? How do we respond as Christians? And in the New Testament, rather than the apostles standing up and saying, Let's abolish all slavery. They are actually saying, actually, a slave, a servant, becomes the picture of the Christian life. And again, I get it. That's hard for us. That's hard for us to wrestle with, especially with our American history. So why? Why is he saying... Here's the logic. Here's Peter's logic. Servants. Jesus was like you. This is what Ruth just read to us. Servants, Jesus was like you. He was a servant. All Christians, be like Jesus. So basic math, y'all. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. You with me? If Jesus was a servant and we're all supposed to be like Jesus, what does that make all of us? Servants. And so Peter is saying... Church, look at, the, look at the servants in your culture. Look at the servants in your household. They are one of the greatest pictures of what Jesus is. Those folks. I hope you see that at what Peter is doing, people, people complain about the Bible and say, the Bible's upholding slavery, the Bible's archaic. The Bi Do you understand what Peter and Paul and Jesus even did? He just elevated slaves from shame to honor. He just said, you all are the greatest picture of Jesus. The same thing Jesus did with kids, remember? Be like a child. Be like a, be like a child. They're nothing in that culture. They're nothing. No, be like that. He's elevating. He's elevating. So why, why? Why be like a servant? Because Jesus was a servant, first and foremost. Because Jesus was a servant. Philippians 2, 
He took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient to death, the death of the cross. He emptied himself. Why, why be like a servant? Because it's in humility, it's in, it's in embracing weakness, it's in, embra- it's in setting aside my rights, it's in emptying of myself that actually love can flourish. When I, when I am released of my own agenda, when I, when I free myself from my own manipulation and my own kingdom, you know, trying to get my own way. Look at verse 19. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Why does Peter compare us to servants? Because we too suffer unjustly as Christians. See, Peter's not glossing over this. He's admitting many slaves in this culture suffer unjustly. But he's also saying that's a picture of the Christian life. Because Christian, you will suffer unjustly. I said this last week. If you are not suffering as a Christian, my question to you is, does anybody know that you're a Christian? If you are not suffering for your faith, has anybody heard about your faith? It's coming. If it hasn't, it's coming, and it's coming to us as a church. Church, I hope we all understand that. It is coming. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's only going to get better when Jesus comes back and rescues us. But it is a gracious thing. It is an honoring thing when we suffer unjustly. Listen, a lot of us have no category for this in our theology. Unjust, server, sir, um, unjust suffering? A lot, a lot of us think that we only suffer when we disobey. Or if we're suffering, it's because God's against us. We suffer because God's punishing us. So, some of you are watching the prosperity gospel preachers on TV who are lying to you. And telling you that if you're suffering, it's because you haven't believed hard enough or had enough faith. You haven't spoken the word of faith to get yourself out of it. They've eliminated an entire category of suffering called righteous suffering. Unjust suffering. Christian, just look at the cross. The most just man in history suffered. There is this thing called unjust suffering, and it is an honorable thing. I forgot that I have slides. (laughs) You just start preaching, right? You just start preaching. Number one, we're servants of God. (laughs) We've said that. Okay, we image God when we live as sacrificial servants willing to suffer for the sake of others. Do you believe this? We image God when we live as sacrificial servants willing to suffer for the sake of others. And before I move on to point number two, let me just say, let me just pause and say, you know, here in America, historically, not just America, but in the West, Historically, uh, people, Christians, the church, has wrongly used passages like this to uphold the racist shadow slavery of American history. 
And I want to stand in front of you and say that we denounce that. It was pure evil from start to finish. There was, there was nothing redemptive in that system, apart from the grace of God grabbing hold of lives in spite of the evil. A system that would go kidnap people out of their homes, place them on ships, no care whatsoever for their livelihood, for, their, for, their, for them at all, sell them as property, and from that develop a, a system of racism in order to keep a people oppressed, keep them from any kind of justice, keep them from any kind of betterment. We condemn that as evil. Now, the slavery in the in first century Greek and Roman world, it's, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag. No doubt it is not good. You're still a slave. You don't have rights. You are property. In this culture, you could be beaten or even killed by your owner, and there is no consequence. Aristotle said that there, there's no just, there should be no justice for slaves because slaves are property. That's what the great philosopher said. But at the same time, in this system, this system did offer opportunities for freedom. It's called manumission, opportunities to be set free. Paul addresses that in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he says, if you are a slave and you have an opportunity for freedom, take it. Take it. But he also says, if you are free and you have an opportunity to become a slave, don't. Don't sell yourself into slavery. Because back then, what you would do is if you got into debt or if you wanted to avoid poverty, you would sell yourself into slavery. Okay, so the, the cult, this culturally is a little bit different. It's still, it's still not good in so many ways. But in no way should we ever use a passage like this to uphold the race-based, unjust, evil system that we've seen in the world, and that still exists in the world, frankly. Number two, we are called to be servants like Christ Jesus. We are called to be servants like Christ Jesus. When we say, be what you are, to be holy is to be what you are. I, I can say the same exact thing by saying, be like Jesus. To be holy, to be what we are, is to be free servants of God. That's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus was. He took upon the form of a servant. Jesus was the ultimate servant, wasn't he? He was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 that we read a little bit earlier. He's the servant of Philippians 2, who being in very nature God, didn't, didn't fight, didn't, never had to fight to maintain that, never had to wrestle with the Father and the Spirit. I will have my rights. <laughs> Jesus never stormed into God's, in the Father's room and said, I demand my rights as a son. <laughs> He never did that. He never looked at the Spirit and said, Spirit, you're, you're just stealing all my glory. He never ever once said that. He never had to fight for that. He never felt like he had to rob God, as the King James says. And yet he set it aside. He set aside those rights. He didn't set aside his divinity. He was God. Jesus was God. We believe that, right? Jesus is the God-man. But he, what he did was he set aside his rights and his privileges of divinity. And he took the form of a servant. Sorry. 
This is what the gospel teaches us. A couple years ago on Good Friday, Good Friday 2019, I, I preached a sermon where I, I showed how the Passion Week of Jesus, on Thursday, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. He's serving them. On Friday, he dies. On Saturday, they have to wrestle with their longings and their desires. And on Sunday, Jesus uh, rises from the dead. Resurrection power. And we tried to show you in that sermon how now, what is the life of the Christian? The Christian life actually moves us backwards through that week, through that process. From Sunday's resurrection power, I now wrestle with my desires and I crucify them. I put to death the desires and the deeds of the flesh so that I can be a servant like Jesus. From resurrection power, freedom, fullness, I too, like Christ, empty myself, moving through backwards through death into service. That's the Christian life. That's what every single one of us is called to. Verse 21, Jesus left us an example. For to you... For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. That word for example is the, is the word for children tracing their ABC letters. They would, use, they, would, like, they would use a stencil and they would learn the alphabet by tracing. That's the word Peter's using. Trace Jesus' life and then follow in his steps. Walk behind. Simon says, right? Do what he does. Listen, we don't seek suffering, but we also don't avoid suffering. But listen, here's three truisms for you. Again, we, we don't go out looking for trouble, Christian. I hope you understand that. I'm supposed to suffer, so... I guess I'll just go out and make waves so someone will pick on me. No, don't, don't be stupid. <laughs> but here's the truth. True servants suffer. Why? Because if you love, you will suffer. If you choose to love, you will... Because that's what love is, isn't it? There's no such thing as loving without suffering. Because loving is giving. Loving is, is setting aside your own rights and your own agenda. Show me a parent who's not suffering for their kids, I'll show you a bad parent. Show me a spouse who's not suffering for their spouse, I'll show you a bad marriage. Show me a teacher who's not suffering for their students, I'll show you a bad teacher. On and on and on. Politician, police officer, picket, whatever you do. It is also true, especially if we choose to love our enemies, we will suffer unjustly. If we choose to love, we will suffer. If we choose to love our enemies, we will suffer unjustly. That's just the truth. That's just, that's just the truth. Jesus endured the greatest of injustices. Not just because of what he physically endured, but because of who he was. I want this to, to, to soak in. Jesus' death is the greatest injustice ever, not just because it was a crucifixion. Other people were crucified, weren't they? 
Other people were tortured and crucified just like Jesus. But Jesus is the only person in history tortured, maligned, shamed, abused, crucified, who didn't deserve it. He was righteous. The guy on his right and the guy on his left, they weren't. And if that was you on his right and me on his left, we weren't. Every single one of us would deserve it if we went on a cross. Jesus alone did not deserve it. And so it is the greatest of suffering, the greatest injustice ever. We too are called to suffer and to suffer greatly. Why? Because only sacrifice changes the world, folks. Only sacrifice changes the world. This is what the cross teaches us. Only, only sacrificial love, love that submits itself under, will change the world. Do you want to see the world change? Be a servant. Do you want to see this church change? Be a servant. Do you want to see your marriage change? Your household change? Your workplace change? Your classroom change? Your, where your cubicle is change? Do you want to see your neighborhood change? Be a servant. Sacrifice. Give. Stop seeking your own rights, your own privileges, your own agenda. Embrace Philippians 2. But Brady, aren't I, aren't I just being a doormat? You're, you're asking me to just be a punching bag, man. You're asking me to just be a doormat when you talk that way. Or, Brady, what if I'm being abused? What if I'm being hurt? What if my boss, what if my husband, what if my wife, what if my parents, what if they are legitimately hurting me, traumatizing me? Should I submit to that? I want to unequivocally say that the answer is if you are being physically abused, emotionally abused, you are not to stay in that situation. Hear me as your pastor. There is a time to stand and turn the other cheek. But listen, when Jesus said turn the other cheek, he, he wasn't talking about being abused. He was, ta he was talking about being honored. Remember, we taught this two summers ago. If you slap me on the cheek, you're insulting me. Remember? When I turn the other cheek, what am I doing? I'm giving you a, an opportunity to honor me. Hit me, kiss me. Hit me, kiss me. Remember that? I'm in a situation where if I turn the other cheek, I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you an opportunity to make it right. I'm giving you an opportunity to change, to go from dishonoring me to honoring me. I'm giving you an opportunity for reconciliation. But the same Jesus also said to us, don't cast your pearls before swine. Right? There are, there are times it is biblical to stand. It is also sometimes biblical to flee. David fled. When Saul abused him, David fled. For years he fled. He got out. Paul fled. Sometimes Paul stood. Sometimes Paul fled. Remember, he got in a basket and they lowered him over a wall at one point. 
Jesus, at times Jesus had to escape and get away until it was the time for him to die. I want to make sure that we understand understand this, that in no way are we saying that to submit is to place ourselves under ongoing uh, with, without any hope of reconciliation, physical or emotional abuse. That is not at all what the Bible's teaching. And we'll talk more about this in a second. So how do we follow Christ's example? How do we follow Christ's example? First of all, we suffer, we serve and suffer without sinning. We suffer without sinning. Look at verses 22 and 23. He committed no sin, no deceit, no, 23, no reviling, no threatening. We suffer without sinning. No lashing out, no threatening, no retaliation. Stop being passive aggressive. Number two, what did Jesus, how did Jesus teach us to be a servant? First of all, suffer without sinning. Number two, he entrusted himself to the God who judges justly. Christian, listen to me. There will be justice. It may not be in this life. I cannot promise you that it will be in this life. I can promise you that in this life it will not be perfect justice or complete justice. And even worse, it might not even happen in this life. But I promise you that in Christ, in God, there will be justice. And if we can submit to the God who judges justly and entrust our lives to Him, oh, the freedom that will come to our hearts. There is no need for retribution. There is no need to repay. God's got that. So now my suffering becomes an opportunity for one of two things. Listen to me, Christian. Listen to me. Your suffering at the hands of somebody else, your just suffering, your righteous suffering, is an opportunity for one of two things. Number one, for you to seek retribution, revenge, or for you to seek reconciliation. One of those two things. Which will you choose? Which will you choose? Only in Christ do we have the power to forsake retribution and seek reconciliation. Why? Because we trust a God who will judge justly. Number three, we do good. How do, how, what's Christ's example? How do I suffer as a servant? I, I suffer without sinning. I entrust my life to the God who judges justly, and then I do good. We, that was last week's sermon, by the way. If you missed it, look it up. Uh, watch it. Listen to it. Do good. Chapter 2, verse 12. Do good. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do good. Chapter 2, verse 24 in our passage. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you see that? Say amen if you see it. Live to righteousness. There's a little, there's a, there's a wordplay here. It's the same. We trust the God who judges justly. And we are alive to righteousness. That's the same Greek word. Justice and righteousness. In, the, in New Testament Greek, there's only one word for both. 
We trust the God who does justice, and we are alive to justice. We trust trust God's righteousness, and we are alive to righteousness. What does this mean? Beyond, Beyond just we don't seek justice for ourselves, we seek justice for others. This is, this is what I've wrestled with all week, and I've actually been wrestling with for months. Does the Scripture show us, and I think it does, I think the Scripture shows us that there's a difference between me fighting for my justice and me fighting for your justice. And I think what, what Jesus tells us is that we don't fight for our own justice, personal justice, but we do fight for the justice of others. And if every Christian is doing that, guess what happens? We all get justice. If I'm fighting for you and you're fighting for me, we all end up getting the righteousness of God. This is what we are called to, to do good. Freedom is the goal. This is what Jesus did, isn't it? Jesus became a slave to end your slavery. That's what the cross is. Jesus became a slave to end your slavery. Now, apply that to your life. Where can I become a servant to end your slavery? Slavery to sin? Slavery to injustice or oppression? And then number four, we submit with all respect. Submit with all respect. Back, at, back up to verse 18. Be subject to your masters with all respect, all fear. Listen, we're, we're going to go to work tomorrow. And we're going to have to submit to, to somebody. Most of us are. We're going to have to submit to somebody. We're going to go home this afternoon and we're going to have to submit to somebody. Let's be honest. It's going to start in an hour, not in a day. <laughs> Let me encourage you to be proactive, not reactive. Let me encourage you to to prepare your heart for tomorrow morning, for this afternoon. Let me encourage you to already decide in your heart before you log on to work tomorrow or go to work tomorrow or whatever it is that you are going to submit with all respect. That you will respect the chain of command at your work. That you will work hard. That you will forsake laziness. That you will do your work as unto the Lord, not as men pleasers. That you will go above and beyond. That you will make, make it better when you leave than it was when you got there. That's what Peter's talking about. And then number three, we are servants of our Savior. We need a Savior before we need an example. This is so important. We cannot start with Jesus, our example. Because if all Jesus is, is our example, his example will crush you. Right? How many of you were just like Jesus this week? Raise your hand. 
Yeah, me either. Jesus has to be my Savior before He can be my example. Let me start by saying we all need a Savior. This passage teaches us that we all need a Savior. Verse 24, He bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. We all need healing from our wounds. Verse 25, for you were straying like sheep. We have all gone astray. The world today wants to divide us into categories of oppressed and oppressor. You're either one or the other. It's a lie. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says you're both. The Bible says every single one of us, black, white, male, female, High society, low society, I don't care. We are all both oppressed by sin and Satan, and we are all oppressors seeking our own way. And Jesus Christ came to save us from both realities. We need him. We need him. How did he do it? Verse 22, he lived perfectly. He committed no sin. He always did good. His conduct was always honorable. He was the perfect human, the perfect servant of God. And then he died for us. He lived for us. He died for us. Verse 21, he suffered for you. Do you see that little word? Because Christ also suffered for you. For you. Not just as an example, but for you. Yes, Jesus' death is an example for us of how to love. No, that's not good enough. Jesus' death is only valuable or worth anything if we're all in danger. If I, look at, if I look at my daughter and say, I've used this before, if I look at my daughter and say, I'm going to show you how much I love you, Daria, and I run out into the street and get smashed by a truck, you all are going, uh, <laughs> that was dumb. But if Daria is in the street wounded and the truck is barreling down on her and it's going to hit her and I push her out of the way and I get smashed by the truck, then you all are having a big service for me and my poster and... That guy was awesome. <laughs> right? I'm a superhero. Why? Because someone was in danger and I died for her. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus died for us. Verse 24, by his wounds we are healed. Substitution. Substitution. His substitutionary death in our place allows us to receive His life and righteousness. This is what makes us free. This is what makes us full. So that now we are free to be servants. Now we are full to be empty. Verse 25, For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Let me ask you a question. If you're listening to me, and you are wounded, and you are astray, you are wounded, you've been hurt, 
You've been through some stuff in your life. People have hurt you. You are broken. At the same time, we all know hurt people hurt people, don't they? <clears throat> you have gone astray. You've, you've sought to find your own way, as Isaiah says. You've rejected God. You've embraced your own, your own righteousness. I'll figure it out. I can do it. If I'm good enough, I can get there. If this describes you, let me, let me implore you, let me beg you, return today to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Return today to the shepherd, to the overseer and shepherd of your soul. He waits with open arms. He waits with open arms because he's the only one that can take your soul and care for it and forgive it, and cleanse it, and nourish it, and bring it back to life by giving you everything that your soul needs, everything that you desire. Starting with the cleansing of guilt and shame. He's the only one who can honor you in the middle of your shame. That's what Jesus stands ready to do. He longs to do. And as we move into communion, this is what we do, isn't it? Every time we take communion together, what are we doing? We're, in a very real way, we're returning once again to the overseer and shepherd of our soul. Be my boss. Take control of my life. Shepherd me. Care for me. Hold me. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll move into our time of communion. <clears throat> Father, we... Look to you. You're the good dad. You're the good dad standing at the end of the driveway with your arms wide open. Some of us have walked away. We've gone astray. All of us have at one point or another. God, some of us are just wounded and beaten up. All of us are both. And so, God, we return to you, our good Father. We come back to you. Like the son in the story, we, we come offering to be your slave, knowing that you will look at us and say, nope, you're my son. You're my daughter. Jesus, we look to you because you're the better older brother. You're not the older brother who stayed home. Jesus, you did not stay home and then say, see, I've done everything right. Where's my party? No, Jesus, you were the better older brother who left the house and sought us and found us and, and, and said, look, let's go home. Come with me. Let's go home. Jesus, be that older brother, for, that better older brother for us right now in this moment. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of the Father that waits for us. Remind us of what we were created to be. Teach this to us as we partake in your body and in, in your blood, these symbols of it. Once again, restore us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.